We are in a series of prayer. We've, we've titled it Prayer, an ongoing discussion with God. And um, as we planned out this prayer series, one of the things that um, was on our hearts as a staff and as a teaching team, we were saying, man, we, we want to know more about healing. And so we invited a dear friend of ours, uh, of mine, Steve Fowler. Steve is the assistant superintendent of the Alliance Northwest. And um, Steve, I met in 2004, right after my wife and I got married, we went to Hong Kong with the Alliance. And uh, Steve was pastoring an international church in Hong Kong. And um, I met him and his family and was just like, man, this guy can communicate. And this guy um, is a, a pastor. And uh, at that point, I was not a pastor. I was just kind of dabbling and thinking about it. And uh, Steve has been a guy that I've tried to pattern some of my uh, my learning after as I've watched him lead others so well. Um, he's been a mentor uh, of mine and a, a good friend of mine and Lisa and our family. And so I'm gonna ask Steve to come up and he'll, he'll lead us today and, and bring the word. But thanks for coming, Steve. And uh, I'll just let you take over. Yeah, thanks Ben, thanks. appreciate it. Thanks Joel and uh, it is really great to be with you. Um, and to kind of jump in and pop in on this series that you are engaging in on prayer. And uh, just to kind of give you a little future cast, um, I, I would love to pray for healing today. Um, so I just want you to be thinking about that. You know, physical, uh, emotional, relational healing. Uh, and I, I love that Jesus is very interested in touching and, um, and speaking to the broken parts of our lives, and we've just uh, celebrated communion together, and it's, uh, it's Isaiah who said, by his stripes we're healed, and so we have access to his healing power. Um, it probably good for you to know that I'm married to my wife, Trina. Uh, Trina's not here with me today. Uh, Trina is, uh, we live in Salem, and she runs a nonprofit. It's a, uh, it's called Salem Free Clinics, it provides free health care, mental health care, and dental care. Uh, to the uninsured, to the working poor, and so she had an event last night, or this last weekend, and she's uh, at the clinic this morning, but I know that if she were here, she'd want to, to greet you. Um, uh, we have four kids. Uh, they are older. We have nine grandchildren, and uh, as Joel mentioned, uh, I, I do have some roots in Hong Kong. I was born in Hong Kong. My parents were CMA missionaries, and so I would spend part of the year in Hong Kong and part of the year at a boarding school in Malaysia. And uh, that, that has shaped who I am, and likely uh, you'll kind of get a, a sense of, of that uniqueness even as I share God's Word with us today. But it's a privilege to be with you, and, um, and I just want to pray as we begin this morning. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you are kind, that you are compassionate and merciful. Lord, the tension of your tenderness and your power is just palpable. But we thank you um, that you are a God that is to be feared, but you also are a God who calls himself a father and invites us into your living room. 
So today, by your spirit and by Jesus, by what you've accomplished for us, we enter into your presence, Father, and we thank you that you gladly welcome us. I pray that today that, um, that you would provide fresh manna for our souls. Lord, we need, there's somebody in the room today that would just, they need a fresh word. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and they're longing to encounter and hear from you. So I pray that even as I speak, that you would fill me with your spirit anew. I declare that apart from you, I can do nothing. And I ask for the grace that I might be an echo of heaven today by what you are accomplishing and what you're doing right here at Missio. We thank you for this and pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, you may know the name John Wimber. Uh, Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, Vineyard movement, uh, movement, before he was leading that denomination, uh, he was an accomplished musician. He had a little gig going on the Las Vegas Strip, and then he, he hit it pretty big uh, as he was signed with uh, the Righteous Brothers. And his musical uh, career, his, his career as a musician, was, t- was taking off until one day he heard about Jesus. And the life of Jesus gripped him. Uh, prior to his, his conversion, he would describe himself as a, a, a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician. But when he found Jesus, uh, he entered into a Bible study led by the Quakers, by the Friends Church. And he described himself as someone who was chain-smoking his way through uh, those Bible studies. Um, and he was learning about Jesus, and he was incredibly... Um, captivated by the Gospels. And as he was reading and studying the Gospels, he, he experienced some tension in his own spirit because what he was reading in the Gospels and what his experience was in church was quite different. Um, and so he was at church one day, and as he was hearing the pastor preach, and he was processing about what he was reading about Jesus giving sight to the blind and helping the lame to walk and, and seeing the demon eyes be set free, uh, he went up to his pastor after church, in fact, the pastor's the back of the church shaking hands as some used to do back in the day, and as Wimber was walking out, he said to his pastor, can I have a conversation with you? He said, yeah, yeah sure, sure, what's, what's up, John? And John asked the pastor, when do we get to do the stuff? And his pastor looked at him and said, the stuff, yeah, when, when do we get to do the stuff that that Jesus did? When, when do we get to pray for those who are blind? When do we get to uh, ask for God for miracles? Uh, when do we get to see the lame walk and set the, the demon eyes free? And uh, his pastor got a little bit of a smirk on his face and smiled at, uh, at Wimber's innocence and uh, responded to him, said, oh, John, John here, you need to understand something. We believe that Jesus did the stuff. Um, but we also believe that, um, that that stuff doesn't happen anymore, and, um, and we, we believe it did happen, um, but it's just not something that, that's, that's going on today. And Wimber was absolutely confused. Um, and his response to his pastor was, you mean I stopped doing drugs for this? And um, his pastor couldn't answer him. And Wimber walked out and would later say, as he began to plant churches in the vineyard movement, and in his words, do the stuff, Wimber said that, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about the fact that when I was following in the patterns of the world, or when I was under the power of the devil, the devil let me do his stuff. 
I could do his stuff anytime I wanted. Why wouldn't Jesus let me do his stuff? And it became a question that began to sort of to linger and actually gave birth again to, to, uh, to, to some significant ministry done to the vineyard movement. Friends, um, we are called to follow in the ways of Christ, to be like Christ, not just in his character, but also to model his ministry to a world that is throbbing in pain. And in fact, the scriptures speak to that pretty clearly. Luke chapter 6, we'll we'll throw this on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 1 John chapter 2 says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. John chapter 14, these are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. There seems to be an expectation on behalf of Jesus that we would not just simply grow and and, and become more like, that's incredibly important, that we would begin to display the fruit of the Spirit as the Spirit works this, this work of transformation in our life, but also that we would be good news. That as we live our lives, that kingdom power would rest in us and flow through us and touch others. Yet there are some who would say, like Wimber's pastor, yeah, there was a day when that happened and that was important, but what you really understand that Jesus, it's amazing the lengths that we'll go to to explain away what Jesus is saying. I mean, we'll create whole theologies. I work really hard to create theologies that, that kind of explain this away, and, um, and, and it just seems like you know, some would say, well, that, you know, healing and miracles and that, that kind of stuff was at the periphery of what Jesus was doing. That's not really what Jesus was about. Yes, he did miracles, but most of it was, was about confirming his deity, and, and that's true. 22% of the miracles that Jesus did were confirmation that he truly is the Son of God. But what you need to understand is that 78%, I've done the math, 78% of the miracles Jesus did were simply miracles of his tenderness and compassion. Look, look, some of you in your following of Jesus have a picture of a God who's angry. I just want to tell you, we have a Jesus who's full of compassion and tenderness. And not only does he love you, he likes you. He, he likes you. And Jesus, moved by compassion, did amazing miracles of healing. I want to read them to you because I just want this to sink in. Because I want you to understand that the ministry of Jesus, that the healing power of Jesus was not just something that, you know, kind of here and there, when he had to, he healed. Listen to this. Jesus, this is from the Gospels, Jesus heals an official son in Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus drives out an evil spirit in a man in Capernaum. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law who is sick with a fever. Jesus heals many sick and oppressed one evening. Jesus cleanses a man with leprosy. Jesus heals a centurion's paralyzed servant 
in Capernaum. Jesus heals a paralytic who is let down from the roof. Jesus heals a withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus raises a woman's son from the dead in Nain. Jesus heals a demoniac and casts demons into a herd of pigs. Jesus heals a woman in the crowd with an issue of blood. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life. And Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man who is unable to speak. Jesus heals an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals many sick and Gennesaret as they touch his garment. Jesus heals a, Gentile's, a Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethesda. Jesus heals a man by spitting into his eyes. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Jesus heals a blind, mute demoniac. Jesus heals a woman who has a bent back for 18 years. Jesus heals a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. He raises Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Jesus restores sight to Bartimaeus in Jericho. And Jesus, even while he is being arrested, heals Malchus's ear that Peter had severed with a sword. Friends, we serve a God who heals. Yet there's something within us that uh, often wavers on that very thing. C.S. Lewis um, said this as it relates to our, our faith. Uh, Lewis said, um, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in, a, in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Yet here's the tension. I just rattled through all these miracles of healing that Jesus did, that you read about in the Gospels. And the tension is, is that, yes, we serve a God who heals, but when we ask and pray for healing, some of us get to see those answers, but the tension is that some of you did not experience healing. You had someone pray for you, or you reached out and asked someone to pray for you, or you prayed for someone, and you trusted that there was a God who healed, yet that healing didn't happen. We understand that Jesus of Nazareth heals, but the tension is that sometimes there's a great chasm between knowing who Jesus is and experiencing his healing power in our lives. What do we do? How do we manage? How do we, how do we fathom this chasm between the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels and perhaps the Jesus that you're experiencing even today. Because let's just face this, some, some of you, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're watching online, and um, maybe you're a mom and dad and you had to bury a child. Maybe you're someone that's been praying for a job that could pay your bills and God hasn't answered that one. Maybe you're here and um, you're a married couple and you've been praying for the ability to have a child and that prayer never answered, was never answered. Maybe you have cancer and you've been praying for healing, but every time you go back to the doctor, you keep hearing the word that the cancer's still there. How do we reconcile the truth that there is a God who heals and yet sometimes the disappointments we experience in life when God chooses not to heal? 
I'm not going to pretend to be able to answer that fully, but I do, I do think there's a couple things that will help us in our journey as we seek to experience the touch of Jesus in our lives. Whether it's for an emotional wound, whether it's for a, uh, a sense of approval and acceptance from parents who are so reluctant to give it to you, or maybe it's because of a, a recent diagnosis, how do we, how do we pray for healing? And, and here's why I, I, I simply want to start. And I, I want to remind us of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And then Paul says something very kind of odd. He says, and I want a fellowship in his suffering so that I could be like him in his death. I think that's pretty counterintuitive to often what we hear today. Because I, I think maybe some of us, or maybe you know someone, that you embraced a gospel that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, I call it a life goes better with Jesus gospel. I give my life to Jesus, life goes better. The problem with that is that when life doesn't go better, you end up being done with Jesus. Because you got into it thinking that he, he's going to take care of me, he's going to protect me, he's going to protect my physical body from any kind of illness and sickness, he's going to watch over my kids, he's going to shelter me. Oh, he'll let a few of kind of the zings and stings of life come in. But by and large, my, my life will go better with Jesus. And the problem is, is that many of us have embraced the gospel like that, and then you're introduced to Paul who says, I want to suffer like Jesus and be like him in his death. You see, Paul knew the power of Jesus, and he saw people healed. But Paul also knew what it was like to suffer. And you know that Paul was talking about his own thorn in the flesh. Three times he prays that that thorn in the flesh would be lifted, um, and it's not lifted, and he has to live with that suffering. You know that he traveled with a team, and um, you, you may not know that, and, and it's in Timothy. Uh, Timothy, uh, it, it's, it, it says that, um, that there's this guy named Trophimus. He's, he's, he's telling Greet, Aquila, and Priscilla, and, um, and he's talking about some of his team members going different directions, and then he ends up saying that he had to live, leave Trophimus in Miletus, Greek Prisca and Aquila, and the house of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Don't think for a moment that Paul didn't pray for healing for Trophimus. Paul knew healing, but he also knew pain. So here, here, here's one of the first things that I believe that will help us as even as we pray for healing for ourselves and for others. We need to develop and practice a healthy theology of suffering. Develop and practice a healthy practice. Uh, develop and, and practice a healthy theology of suffering. Now, here's what an unhealthy theology of suffering can often look like and sound like. Sometimes it sounds like resignation, because you're hearing me talk about Jesus and healing, and you're saying perhaps you're saying to yourself, "Yeah, I used to believe that once." Yeah, I remember when I first started walking with Jesus, I believed, I believed in the Jesus stuff. Kind of like, kind of like Wimber. I mean, I, I believed in doing this stuff, but, you know, disappointment hit you and you sort of resigned and, and, and you gave up hope in the fact that there's a Jesus who heals. 
And if you've ever felt that way, don't go to a place of shame. Actually be encouraged. But some of the closest followers of Jesus had the same kind of response. His own cousin, John the Baptist, who, by the way, just, just for memory's sake, John the Baptist, who jumped in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, when Mary walks in, pregnant with Jesus, like even before John the Baptist was born, he recognized who Jesus is. John the Baptist, who's pointing out Jesus, saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That, that John the Baptist, who even gave away some of his own disciples to follow after Jesus, he knows who Jesus is, but one day he finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison he finds himself suffering. And John the Baptist, who jumped in his mother's womb because Jesus was in, the pres- in, in his house, John the Baptist, who preached about Jesus, is now wondering, is Jesus the one? Luke chapter 7. Let me, let me read this for us. John sends messengers to ask if Jesus is the one, and he answered them. This is Jesus talking. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed, get this last thing he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Isn't that pushing to the heart of it? Because John the Baptist is suffering And I don't know everything that was going through his mind. You and I don't know this, but there's something that Jesus is saying. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Either by the way he did his ministry and how he pushed the boundaries with his ministry or in the ways he chose not to do ministry. In this case, saving John from suffering. And we know that John ends up losing his life there in prison. Friends, sometimes our, our theology of suffering betrays itself, our, our, our lack of growth in, the, in that area of our, our following of Jesus because of resignation. I used to believe that. The second thing is simply uh, skepticism and cynicism. You hear someone's healed and you, go, well, you wonder inside, um, well, maybe the doctor gave the wrong diagnosis. Maybe they didn't really know. Or, um, well, maybe, maybe the cancer is just in regression. Or we've had experiences where we've actually kind of watched the show that healing sometimes takes place in, in certain gatherings. And we wonder, Dad, did, is that really something that's going on? Oh, we have a sophistication bias. We know better now what really is, is happening. And sometimes our lack of a theology of suffering is betrayed by our skepticism and our cynicism. The third thing that our theology of suffering sometimes is betrayed by is Unhealthy explanations. I mentioned that I was born in Hong Kong. Um, my parents were missionaries in Hong Kong with the CMA. My grandparents were missionaries with the CMA in China. My great-grandparents were missionaries with the CMA in Tibet. And when I was uh, 10 years old, my, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. And she was not doing well. And, um, and it, it, it was close to the day that she would die. Someone from the church came over to our apartment and, and explained to my parents 
that the reason grandma was sick was because um, there was sin in the family. Uh, I heard this conversation as a 10-year-old. And I, I remember as a young kid wondering, was it my sin that killed grandma? Did I kill grandma? You see, sometimes you'll hear people say, because they'll, they'll reference the story of Achan. Achan who stole some things as Jericho was being conquered and buried him in his tent. You, you'll hear things like, well, there's sin in the camp, and that's, this is what this person was saying. The reason that your prayers aren't being answered is because there's sin in the camp. And can I just say, duh, there's always sin in the camp. We're not talking about are people living perfect lives? What, what, what we're talking about here is hidden sin. There's always going to be sin in the camp. But sometimes when it comes to this idea of healing, there's this nagging thought that the reason Jesus isn't healing is because there's sin in the camp. Or because I'm not good enough. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you're not. And neither am I. Which is why Jesus went to the cross. And it's in Him that we're made righteous and holy. It's in Him that we have the privilege of being called saints. But unhealthy explanations oftentimes erode a sanctified theology of suffering. And the last thing I would say is just simply unbelief. It's the pastor that says to Wimber, we believe Jesus did the stuff, we just don't believe Jesus still does the stuff. John Wesley said this, the grand reason why the miraculous were so soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves and to decry, and to decry them as madness or imposture. Friends, we serve a God who heals. He still gives sight to the blind. He still restores hearing. He does the miraculous. And I'm not sharing that with you simply by something way in the past. I'm sure that, that is, I've seen it. I've seen Jesus heal. But I've also seen Jesus choose not to heal. And there's mystery. There's often a tension between the Jesus we read about and at times our own life circumstances. I, I want to read to you a letter from Natalie. Natalie is in her 70s. Natalie um, believes Jesus heals. Yet in her 70s, she was diagnosed with diabetes type 1. Not type 2, type 1, which is really rare. L listen to what um, Natalie wrote. This is my story of being healed of my need to be healed. I believe in Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I believe in the great physician. Throughout my life, I've had times when I was supernaturally relieved of physical symptoms. And I know that my body, which has been fearfully and wonderfully created, is constantly working by the grace of God to heal itself in multiple ways. However, eight years ago, I was blindsided by a diagnosis that left me quite undone and changed my life. Even though it is rare for someone at age 78 to be pronounced with diabetes 1, 
Sure enough, that is what my doctor told me and all the tests and symptoms pointed to. My pancreas had quit working, and for the rest of my life, I would be insulin dependent. Going through countless finger pricks and needles in my stomach, life-threatening blood sugar highs and lows, using alarm-equipped continuous glucose monitors, and implementing a major change in my eating habits. I grieved. I sobbed. I took long walks where I talked ugly to God. I begged, I pleaded, bargained with Him. Friends and pastors prayed for my healing. Over the passage of time, I listened to many stories of others being healed of ailments such as migraines, infections, vision and hearing problems, even some cancer. But I never once, not once, heard or nor found scientific proof of anyone being healed of chronic diseases like mine. It appears that God just doesn't seem to be in the business of granting the wishes, let alone the prayers, of those of us with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, cystic fibrosis, Crohn's disease, or diabetes 1. Then, as I grappled with my new reality, the Holy Spirit began to point out things that gently erased some of the fear and anxieties. I found multiple passages of Scripture that spoke deep encouragement, and I became more open to the story of those God had spoken to about similar struggles. It was about that time that Bart Millard, the leader of the band Mercy Me, came out with a song called Even If. It was written about his young, diabetic number one son. The lyrics say, I know you're able and I know you can, saved by the power of your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. That, to me, is where the rubber meets the road. Is Jesus enough, or do I just need Jesus plus a healing? I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is enough. Jesus is beside me every step of the way. He knows everything about me and can handle the ups and downs of my chronic disease. I heard him say to me, settle down for the ride. It's going to be bumpy, but you've got me. I can ask for nothing more in this life. And the story hasn't ended. I've grown in empathy, patience, compassion, gratitude for a miraculous body that functions at all, gratitude for a slower pace, time to reflect on his incredible goodness, a deeper trust that whatever he chooses for makes kingdom sense. The reminder that Jesus died in intense agony. So why should I complain? The hope that when all is eternally restored, my healing will be full and complete. Yet in the meantime, the God of all comfort cheers me on, and I'm gratefully healed of my need to be healed. That, friends, is a woman who has developed and practiced a healthy theology of suffering. But here's the second thing. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that I might become like him in his death. But he also says, I want to know the power of Jesus that raised him from the dead. I want to know suffering and I want to know resurrection power. Paul was able to experience both. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. So not only do we need to develop and practice a theology of suffering, we need to develop and practice a theology of power, of resurrection power. And here's where 
we feel the inner tension. Because can we just say it? Sometimes when God displays his power, it's just weird. I mean, you heard me read of miracle where Jesus spits in some guy's eye. There's things in which when God displays his power, that it, 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 it's just kind of, I mean, yes, Jesus places his spit on someone's eye. We have Paul's hanky that is given to someone and they're healed. We have Peter's shadow um, that people are just lining up so that when Peter is on his way to church, maybe his shadow will follow him and they'll be healed. The power of Jesus sort of blows, blows the fuses of our minds and our understanding of how he accomplishes the miraculous. But he, he does. He has the power to do the impossible. And Jesus is still in the business of healing. And one of the ways that we can develop and practice the theology of power is by making the God, our God, the God, not of the last resort, but the first resort. Make God the God of the first resort rather than the God of the last resort. Let me just explain this to you. Um, I believe in medicine. I think there's so much good that is done by medicine. But if I'm going to make God the God of the first resort, when I'm not feeling good, I'm going to go to Jesus first and give him first crack at touching my body. And then I might pop a couple Tylenol. But I want to give him first, I want to make, make him my first resort. My wife, Trina, if she were here, I would ask her to share this story with you. Um, she was in the Middle East leading a team of, of folks who are ministering to uh, our, our international workers in the larger Middle East area. And uh, they were in, in Amman, Jordan, driving around, and they had to be, they were doing a women's conference in the evening. It started at 7 o'clock, and they met with this one a Muslim background believer. They were, they were hanging out with her, and the time was so significant. They spent as much time with her as they could, but they had to get to the conference. They go out to their car, they get in the car, the key goes in ignition, the key is turned, and nothing happens. Now, the five women who are with her are godly women, wonderful women. And they love Jesus. And everyone was panicking. They don't speak Arabic. They have no idea how they're going to get help to get the car started. And, um, and they, who do we call? And the, the fear begins to set in. And so they keep trying, turning the key, and turning the, and nothing's happening to the car. My wife says, hey, why don't we pray and see if Jesus can heal the car? We're talking about physical healing, but you know, there's other things that Jesus can do. And that, that might sound pretty simple. Oh, okay, you want us to pray for the car. See, here's what you don't understand. There's mechanics involved, there's, there's wiring involved, and um, in fact, some of the women began to just kind of like, I, I don't think you understand, right? It's like, the starter's not working, or the battery's dead, and Teresa said, well, I, I, just, I just think that God can do anything, and why not ask him? So one of the ladies, who's a pretty strong leader, said, okay, Trina, you pray for the car. 
So Trina says, okay. And, you know, there's no liturgy on how to pray for a car uh, when a car won't start. And she said, I closed my eyes and I said, dear God, if you don't show up here, I, I, she prays a simple prayer, Jesus, we need to get to a conference. There are people waiting on us. We need you to start this car. Amen. The person in the driver's seat takes the key, puts it in ignition, turns it, car fires up. It starts. And everyone is looking at each other like, oh my goodness. One person said, well, maybe, maybe there just was something wrong in the way we turned the key. Ah, sophistication bias kicking in. Friends, we'll never know until we ask. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, would say, sometimes we have not because we ask not. It might sound simplistic, but God is in the business of healing relationships, deep emotional wounds, our physical bodies, and even cars. And one of the ways we can develop and practice our theology of power is simply to make him the God of the first resort. Lauren Cunningham, founder of YWAM, says this, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if God doesn't show up, you will look D-U-M-B. And that's the tension you will feel in your own heart as you begin to take steps of faith and ask Jesus to heal. It feels risky. And it is. But Jesus said that, in fact, we would do the very things that he would do. I, I want to read another letter. And this is a letter from a young couple in the church I previously had the privilege of pastoring. And we had a custom of praying for healing in our church, simply by asking people to stand, and then um, we would just pray in our church services. And um, there was an amazing number of people who were healed. And there were people who were standing right next to others who weren't healed. But this is from uh, Carter and Paige. Let me just read it for you, and then I, I want to pray for us. My wife and I struggled to conceive and have children. One day, Paige excitedly shared news that she was pregnant, and we rejoiced. The joy turned to sorrow as we suffered the heartbreak of a miscarriage. Not long afterwards, Paige was again pregnant. We were very afraid of experiencing another miscarriage, but we both felt God promised a healthy baby to us. He spoke strongly to us that our baby would be healthy. This promise brought ease to our minds over having another miscarriage. We didn't have a miscarriage, but difficult days were ahead. As the pregnancy advanced, it became evident that something could be seriously wrong with our baby. There was a complete loss of fetal movement, our baby was born nine weeks early with a rare stomach blockage. The birthing process also kept our baby from being able to develop a normal suck and swallow reflex. She was put on a feeding tube and a ventilator for many weeks. Our little girl then experienced a grade three brain bleed. The doctors were very concerned. But the brain bleed miraculously disappeared. 
There was a surgery to repair her digestive system that was unsuccessful. Our baby vomited after every feeding and then developed a rare eye disorder. However, through all the difficult days and sleepless nights, God's sweet words of promise to us about our baby's health stayed with us. In fact, these words carried us through the many trials we faced. One Sunday morning, we stood for healing in church for our little girl, Kennedy. On the eve of her first birthday, God spoke, str spoke strongly, confirming what we had been hearing. Her health struggles were over. It was finished. We share with you today that the victory belongs to him. He did it. Our baby is healed. She is completely healthy. She turned one on November 6, 2020, and she will turn three this November, 2022. Friends, how do we manage the tension between knowing that there's a God who heals and yet living in a place where there is suffering? How do we manage that tension? We develop and practice a healthy theology of suffering, and we develop and practice a healthy theology of power. And we pray for the sick. Which means that when you bump up or rub shoulders with someone at work or at home or on the street, you can pray for healing. I've, I've prayed for people who are, are Muslim background, and they've literally told me that, well, we, we don't believe Allah heals. And we simply just say to them, understand that but we believe Jesus heals. Can I pray for you? And seeing them healed. We get to pray for the sick wherever we go and see the ministry of Jesus be multiplied in our world, a world that is throbbing in pain. And more than ever, do they need to experience the Jesus of Nazareth that we read about in the Gospels. We need to pray for the sick. And the second thing I would say is simply this. We need to pastor the disappointed. It is possible to be in the same room with someone who is rejoicing that they're healed and with someone else who's still longing to be healed. Paul puts it this way when he's writing a church in Rome. We rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's what family does. We don't stop asking. We just learn how to celebrate and cry all at the same time. And this is what families do. So as I wrap up, I would love to pray for healing today. Um, there are some of you here who perhaps you've been asking for a very, very long time for healing and you've kind of given up. Or maybe there's something new. Perhaps there's a wound from years ago, that sort of settled in your heart. Maybe there's a wound that just, it's new. It's like this week. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship that's been broken. Maybe it's a marriage that you'd like to see more healthy. Whatever it is, we follow a Jesus who loves to heal. 
And if you would like to experience this healing touch, you want to be prayed over today, I'm, I'm going to just ask you to do this. I'm just ask you to stand right where you're at. Um, it's sort of your way of expressing faith. Like the blind man on the side of the road crying out to Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I'm, I'm just asking you to stand right now. If, if, if it's physical healing, relational healing, or an emotional wound, I just want to pray, pray over you. And if those of you are uh, online, if you're in, at home, you can stand uh, there in, in your home. Thanks for those who are standing here. And I, I just want to invite Jesus of Nazareth to come and to bring healing to your life. By the way, those of you who are not standing, no shame in that, but don't be passive here. Be an active participant. You know who's standing. Maybe you even know the circumstances. You can engage and ask for the healing power of Jesus to be present as we pray for healing. Let me pray for those who are standing. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we just declare that your healing presence is in the room today. Jesus, I I just see you walking around this room and touching. See you, Jesus, for those who are standing, they're watching online, maybe even listening later. Just declare your healing presence wherever your church is gathered. And today, Lord, I, I pray over those who are seeking uh, healing for migraines, a healing over maybe some mental health issues that they're dealing with. Pray for healing for arthritis. Pray for healing for joints. Healing over eyes and ears. Lord, healing over simple things like colds and a cough that just won't let go and pray healing over relationships Lord over parents who's maybe have a son or a daughter who's a prodigal we just declare the healing power of Jesus in this room today and Lord because you are a compassionate and tender God I ask and pray that you would reach out and stretch out your hand and touch Touch bodies, touch relationships, touch our souls. And Jesus, we just declare that there is no one like you. And we thank you for hearing our cry. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. For those who are standing, can I just say thank you for trusting us with the, the, really the joy of praying over you. Your standing is a demonstration of faith. And it pleases the heart of God that you would trust him in this way. And may your healing, may your, your desires of your heart be realized. And as he does heal, may praise flow quickly from your mouth as to how good he is.